0: This is Asked and Answered questions with Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola.
1: Before we get into today's crop of Question Labs, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Steelers' preseason efforts on Saturday against Buffalo. Everybody was very encouraged after the Buccaneers game. First team offense looked good, but we got to pump the brakes. The Buccaneers aren't supposed to be that great of a team, and they were resting a lot of their players in the first preseason game. Saturday was a different story, though, Labs. The first-team offense was out there for a couple of series. They finished with touchdowns in both of them, and they were playing a team that a lot of people think have Super Bowl aspirations, have had those aspirations for the past couple of years, and had a lot of their starters out there as well.
0: Yeah, it was uh, you know a second straight uh, impressive performance. I, I kind of hesitated to use impressive, but uh, I, th- I think it's okay uh, because – I didn't I, – I'll be honest. I mean, I certainly didn't in, in, expect them to look this good in s- some of these areas this quickly. And, you know, the one thing that really has um, caught my eye that these first two preseason games, uh, the chunk plays on offense. Yeah. Uh, you know, against the Bills you had, you know, Jaylen Warren's 62-yard run. Um, you know, and then uh, a, a – uh, one of the previous episodes of the Mike Tallman show that airs, uh, in the pregame, uh, I asked him, you know, what a chunk run play is just to, you know, get some idea of, you know, how they measure it. And he said, anything 10 yards or more. So, you know, the Steelers have had six chunk run plays in their first two preseason games. Um, and you know, you had a 25 yard touchdown pass against uh, Buffalo, um, we had the long touchdown pass to um, Calvin Austin, 67 yards. Was that, I think? Yeah, something like that, um, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, the George Pickens one. So, you know, you're, the the offense is scoring touchdowns. They are scoring touchdowns via chunk plays and attacking the middle of the field. So, uh, you know, all, all the things that we kind of were hoping to see or thought we might be able to see based on You know all that fun time we spend up at camp me and you um
1: (laughs) i miss it you know
0: it's (laughs) you're such a liar you're good at it though i like that um but um you know I, i i just think that that's heartening for the start of the regular season you know got one more preseason game and then a pretty long layoff but then september the 10th san francisco 49ers
1: yeah and you know touchdowns are touchdowns no matter how you get them but it's nice to see Kenny on his two touchdown throws during the preseason kind of throwing the guys open, right? Like threading the needle to George Pickens in between coverage, putting the ball where only Pat would be able to catch it against the Buffalo Bills on his touchdown on Saturday. Uh, Kenny hype has been high ever since he came to Pittsburgh and has been all offseason. But you're starting to see it nationally now, Labs. You know, I turn on Center, I turn on NFL Network, and people are very impressed with what they've seen from Kenny so far.
0: Yeah, that makes me nervous though. Once once Sports Center starts jumping <laughs> on Stephen the, Stephen A. starts I, jumping
1: on, yeah,
0: I start questioning what I'm seeing. You know, <laughs> but and just to just to uh, refer specifically to the Friermuth throw, you know, again, the degree of difficulty against the Buffalo Bills uh, is a, a lot higher than the degree of difficulty against the Tampa Bay yes. Buccaneers. That throw open Pat Fryermuth, uh touchdown pass, you know, that was between Matt Milano and Jordan Poirier. Pretty
1: good play. Those are.
0: Right. They're recognizable names in big games uh, for a couple of years, at least. So, yeah, it's um, it, it's it's starting to come together. I think, you know, just hope now, you know, knock on wood and all that other stuff, um, living in my fears, people kind of <laughs> do like myself, Um, you know, just get this through this last preseason game and then, you know, start getting ready for the 49ers.
1: Well, let's take a stab at some of the questions that you've sent in today. Our first one comes from Dennis Slieger from York, PA, and he asks There was so much made before and after the 2022 NFL draft about Kenny Pickett's hand size, but with how he played last year and through this past training camp, do you believe this is a non issue now?
0: Uh, I'm going to be honest. I, I, I thought all along it was a non issue. Um, you know, I don't, this is, this is my only experience with hand size on a quarterback, okay? It was during the run-up to the 1983 draft. And, you know, I was talking to people about Dan Marino. And somebody actually looked me in the eye and said, seriously, his hands are too small. <laughs> now, you know how I hate the comparison, you know, Pickett and Marino because they both went to Pitt or whatever. They always leave out the Alex Van Pelt thing with the, uh, breaking the records. Yeah, but, I remember him, you yeah. know, if, if people wanted to look at Marino and say, his hands are too small, uh, that just kind, of, and then you watched how he played. It just kind of led me down the path that maybe that wasn't such a meaningful, uh, measurable in the first place.
1: Plus, he wears the gloves. You know, Kenny two gloves. So anything that you know, grip wise, he needs, he gets from that extra stickum. It's all good. Carlos Arvizu from CDMX, Mexico, asks: From the roster that won Super Bowl Forty, how many players so far have been inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Uh,
0: okay. Uh, Jerome Bettis. Uh, inducted as part of the class of 2015. Troy Polamalo, inducted as part of the class of 2020. Alan Fanica, inducted as part of the class of 2021. Now, I know the question only refers specifically to players, but I'll just throw this in as, you know, extra information at no extra charge. Um, Assistant coaches, Russ Grimm and Dick LeBeau, both on that staff. Now, they were inducted as players, when when they were inducted uh, they both went in in the class of 2010 and then bill cower the head coach was inducted as a coach as part of the class of 2020 those are the you know players and coaches on that team who were inducted following super bowl 40
1: joseph huber from leesburg virginia the special teams play against buffalo looked very good what were your overall impressions of the special teams play uh, I would agree. I, um, Joseph, I
0: generally agree with your assessment. Uh, I'm going to break it down a little bit here by category just to uh, say more than I agree with your assessment. Um, there were no issues, you know, with the snap hold kick process on field goals and the extra points. Chris Boswell was four for four overall combined. Good. Good job. That's what you expect. But anyway, good job. Now, the Steelers were only penalized four times in the game. Two were assessed to as special teams. Uh, in my opinion, only one really mattered. Uh, Connor Hayward was flagged for an illegal formation on a punt. That moved the ball from the Buffalo 15-yard line to the 20-yard line in the first half, which is when you know most of the front-line players, the guys who were going to make the team, were on the field. Then the other special teams penalty came in the last 55 seconds or whatever it was. Too many men on the field during a Bills extra point attempt. Uh, and again, at that point, I don't expect to see... You know, any of those guys who are on the field then um, on the 53 man roster. Okay, moving it around here to some of the other elements. Calvin Austin, the third, had a 54 yard punt return. Gunnar Olszewski had a 15 yard punt return. And the blocking was clean on both of those. You know, a lot of times we'll see nice returns anytime, um, but often, more often in the preseason, and they get called back for a legal block in the back or holding or, you know, one of those things that just make you crazy. Uh, Anthony McFarland only returned one kickoff for 19 yards, and I don't believe he would have brought that one out of the end zone. Uh, What we're seeing in the preseason is on kickoffs, just bring it out. We want to work on kickoff returns. I think we're going to see a whole lot more uh, fair catches on kickoffs um, as the regular season begins. Okay, and then finally, I thought punter Presley-Harvin had a great game. Uh, he worked very efficiently with the coverage to keep the Bills' offense close, uh, pinned close to its own goal line. Uh, you know, Harvin punted, uh, th- did all the punting in the second preseason game. Um, Braden Mann did all the punting in the first preseason game. Um, so, uh, Harvin punted five times. Uh, this was the Buffalo's starting position after each of those, respectively. The 11 yard line. The 15-yard line, that became the 20 after the penalty on Hayward. The 6-yard line, the 10-yard line, and the 8-yard line, okay? Now, people, and I've, I've gotten, you know, feedback from fans moaning about Harvin's 38.2-yard average for the game. Now, that's missing the whole point of this. You know, in addition to the field position, you know, that's Josh Allen you're put, putting inside his own 15. You know, this is not... Um, whoever it was playing in the second half of the Tampa Bay game. Um, the Bills were also able to only return one of Harvin's punts, and they only got two yards out of it. Okay, All five were inside the 20, and I guarantee you that Mike Tomlin and Danny Smith were not moaning <laughs> about the 38.2-yard average in that
1: context. Yeah, it was great work from special teams all around against Buffalo Uh, Calvin Austin that punt return you know I I know how fast he is I hear it from everybody who was up at camp things I've seen from camp he had the big touchdown in the game against Tampa Bay where he showed his speed but labs it it really showed through the TV broadcast when he was returning that punt just how much faster he is than everybody else on that field
0: yeah I mean and you and I talked about this you know uh, during the training camp reports we were doing every day from Latrobe you know and I hate to make this comparison because you know I don't want anyone to think that you know Calvin Austin uh, is more Antonio Brown than just in the specific way I'm gonna compare the two but when Antonio Brown first started you know he didn't miss his whole rookie season as Calvin Austin did but when he first started you know uh, he was a punt returner uh, in, in the beginning and a number four wide receiver uh, and just watching him in training camp because there's no never any tackling special teams in training camp. But he just had a burst. I mean, you could see it. The way he would hit things, um, the, the creases that he would find, the spots that he would get through, it just looked different. Uh, and Calvin Austin is, is very close to that. It, as you were just describing, and as we talked about in Latrobe, this guy has a burst, you know, a, a, an additional gear. I mean, I don't know how, you know, what, what kind of phraseology you want to use. But if you watch him or had the opportunity to watch him doing this in in La Trobe at St. Vincent college, you would notice even if you, if, even if they weren't wearing number jerseys just based on watching it, watching and then comparing it in your own mind with your own eyes you would see that this guy has something special.
1: Or you could use the wife test, right? Mrs. Labriola takes a look at it. She doesn't know anything, but she knows that this guy's (laughs) faster than everybody else on the field. It's just that obvious to anybody watching. John Vincent from Conneaut, Ohio asks, with Kendrick Green's struggles at center, why didn't the Steelers move him to guard, which was his position in college? Why did they thrust him into the starting lineup as a center?
0: Yeah, Kendrick Green's taking a lot of heat from uh, fans in the media. Um, maybe it's well deserved. Maybe it's not. I'm, I, I don't know enough about offensive line play to to really make a, an intelligent assessment. So you know, I usually rely on Craig Wolfley and Max Stark. So maybe you know, we'll we'll get them to weigh in here in in the very near future. But here's the here was the situation that that created the whole uh, picking Kendrick Green and then thrusting him into the starting lineup as a center. Okay. Um, Marquise Pouncey surprised uh, the Steelers when he retired on February 12, 2021, because he had always said that he was sticking around until Ben was done. Now, Ben was in the process of coming to an agreement with the Steelers. He took a a pay cut uh, and some other things, and he was coming back for the 2021 season. Okay, So Pouncey then, I won't say that the Ben decision to return came before, but they were close enough that if you know, Pouncey was really serious about sticking with Ben. They could have communicated and, and gotten some sense of, you know, where the talks were with the team. So anyway, the Steelers did not expect him to hang it up, okay? So now you're also coming into the offseason after the 2020 COVID year when teams played in empty stadiums. And that that really bit into the uh, designated gross revenue, which is what the the players and the owners split up to come up with what the salary cap is, okay? So that year, 2021, the salary cap went down, and that had never happened before. I mean, and so the Steelers are usually, you know, pretty tight to the salary cap anyway. Now they got to deal with a salary cap that went down. They still have been, and even though his cap hit wasn't as, you know, monstrous as it had been, it still was significant. So the Steelers are in a spot now where, they, they need a center, okay? you got to have a center. Um, they still have been, and they're paying them, a, you know, a, a cap amount that is significant, and the cap went down. So not only can they not go out and get anyone, they can't even keep their own people. Because, for example, one of the guys who left that offseason, Matt Filer, he could play center. But he left because the Steelers couldn't match what he was going to get from the Chargers. So... This is what you had. I mean, and there weren't a whole lot of avenues. You know, you can't keep your own guys. You can't go out and sign anybody, and you gotta get, you got to have one. Okay, so you got to draft one. That year, the Steelers picked Najee first, and then in the second round, you know, a lot of moaning. Should they have picked Creed Humphrey? Um, eh. You know, Creed Humphrey's a starting center in this league, but Pat is a pretty good player too. So, you know, what are you doing – for Ben in his last year. You're getting him a tight end who can catch the ball, maybe add another offensive weapon to go with the running back that you added. Are we really going for this here in his last year? Or do you want to take a flyer on a center and hope he's pretty good? Uh, So they picked (laughs) Fryer. Then they drafted Kendrick Green in the third round. So, yes, his college position was guard. They looked at his measurables. They thought he was pretty mobile and athletic. And, you know, they had had a, pretty good success with a mobile athletic center by the name of Dermoni Dawson, who's now in the Hall of Fame. And not to say that they thought Kendrick Green was the next Dermani Dawson, but they thought that maybe Kendrick Green could play the position in some ways to be similar to the way Dermani Dawson played, and maybe that would be a good way to go. And so that's what happened. Um, I won't say that maybe they didn't reach a little bit for Kendrick Green. Maybe they could have done some of it, but that's all hindsight now. If you want to know why It happened the way it happened. That's why. Ponce retired when they really didn't expect it. They were in salary cap jail big time. And so they did what they thought was the best they could do at that particular time.
1: Yeah, and I got a a small hunch that fans won't be regretting that Pat Friermuth pick in the years to come. Dude looks like he's poised to break out and in a big way. Uh, This year and the following years. Mike to from Surrey, British Columbia, Canada asks, at this point, I see two players on the injured reserve list and four others were waived injured. How do the salaries and bonuses of these injured players count against the salary cap? Does waiving them before the first season game mean nothing counts against the cap?
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay, Mike, this is the general rule. Everything counts on the salary (laughs) cap. Seriously. I mean, um, you know, it just does. Anything related to player costs counts on the salary cap. Players on injured reserve list are paid the salary that's called for in their contracts. That counts on the salary cap. You mentioned four players waived injured. Okay, Those guys waived injured. So whatever settlement is reached between the agent and the team, that counts on the salary cap. So then when a the team either puts a guy in the injured reserve list or waives a guy injured and then reaches an injury settlement with that player, you got to sign guys to replace them, okay? Those guys have to be paid. um, You know, they have to have contracts that are at least for the NFL minimum salary. That counts on the salary cap. So and what I'm trying to get to is generally everything related to players counts on the salary cap. And this is why when these websites or bloggers or whatever, the Steelers have this much money left on the cap, they should go sign a couple of more guys. Well, that really is a deceptive figure because you know you got a lot of bills coming in too that's gonna to count on that money too and you know in the regular season this is also a, an issue everybody you put on IR counts on the salary cap if you waive anybody injured the settlement counts on the cap the guy replaced counts on the cap practice squad counts on the cap all that stuff counts on the cap so um, you know when the when you Fans get frustrated about, you know, why don't the Steelers spend their salary cap money? Uh, My answer to that is it's not as much money as you think.
1: And our final question today comes from Tom DeLarte from Orlando, Florida. I found it interesting that in 1974, Chuck Knoll let Joe Gilliam call his own plays, and then apparently Knoll benched Gilliam for calling too many passing plays, yet the Steelers still rushed for over 2,400 yards that season, and we all know how the 1974 season ended. Was it a technology issue or just Knoll's way of calling plays back then? What was the role of the offensive coordinator, and did Terry Bradshaw call his own plays for all four of Steelers' Super Bowl wins during the 70s?
0: Um Chuck Noll believed in quarterbacks calling their own plays. Now, I you know, I never had the opportunity to, you know, buttonhole him on why he did that, but I can tell you this that Chuck Noll played for the Cleveland Browns. He was a guard. Paul Brown was the coach, and at the time, um, the Browns used what was called the messenger guard system to send plays in uh, from the sideline cuz Paul Brown didn't want his Quarterback called his own plays, even though his quarterback was Otto Graham, who was a great player. So Chuck was one of the messenger guards. Maybe he didn't like that. I don't know. Maybe he didn't like doing that. Maybe he didn't. Maybe there was something in his decision making that um, was stemmed from that. But I don't know. But anyway, Steelers quarterbacks under Chuck Knoll called their own plays, and in fact, they didn't even have an offensive coordinator until Tom Moore, who had been the wide receivers coach was elevated to the position of offensive coordinator for the 1983 season. So from 1969 through 1982, the Steelers had no offensive coordinator. So that position didn't exist on Chuck Knoll's staff. Um, and to that point, Noll worked personally with the, uh, the quarterbacks on the game plan, you know, whatever, and they, you know, he didn't send in plays but through the conversations that the quarterback had with Noel, you know, they, they formulated a, a general guideline of how they wanted to attack the opponent. Now, I can use an example, Super Bowl 14 against the Los Angeles Rams. Now, I remember this was in the second half, and it, this was an NFL films thing. And, you know, they're filming everything with mics and they have the boom mics and everything. And there's a, a clip of Bradshaw and Noel talking. It was during a timeout or change of possession or something. And they're kind of on the field a little bit, maybe five yards out onto the playing field. But as I said, play had stopped. And Noel is instructing Bradshaw, telling him, Terry, you know, in third and short, go for the big play. (laughs) That's how we want to attack this defense. Don't forget. That's what we worked on. But he didn't tell him what to call, but he just said, you know, go to the big play. And as you remember, the two long passes, the Stallworth probably broke that game open, you know, late in the game, uh, early in the second half and then in the fourth quarter. So that's how Noel got his point across to the quarterback about the direction in which he wanted the offense to go. But in terms of the four Super Bowl wins, to answer Tom's question specifically, Bradshaw called all of his own plays.
1: The Steelers end their preseason on Thursday in Atlanta, taking on the Falcons. And Labs and I will be back with another edition of Asked and Answered next week. We always appreciate you sending in your question to Labs to hear them read on this very program. And we'll talk to you then on Asked and Answered.